So, all right, we're going to go start through the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to attempt to get through the uh, first chapter tonight. Just a few quick things on 1 Kings. Uh, 1 and 2 Kings, actually the books of Kings, were one original book along with 1 and 2 Samuel at one time. Uh, but it was end up being broken up. Um, the Greeks' translations uh, for the Old Testament, they broke them up. Couldn't fit them on the scrolls from what I heard. Maybe so. But uh, the book of 1 Kings was divided into 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 3 Kings, and 4 Kings. And later the vision was maintained, and we know it now as 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings. Uh, the book of 1 Kings was traditionally believed to be written by Jeremiah. Uh, in around the 6th century B.C., we don't know if Jeremiah actually wrote it, but he does have some qualifications where he could have been the author for this book. Uh, the book of 1 Kings begins with the end of David's kingdom at his death, <clears throat> and it tells us of the reign of Solomon. Following the death of Solomon, it records the division of the kingdoms. We have the northern kingdom of Israel and the uh, tribes of Judah in the south. The book follows the reign and succession of kings in the kingdoms, some good, some bad. The kings are often compared to, uh, a lot of the kings in this book are compared to David because he seemed to be the standard by, why, by which all Jewish kings end up being judged by. Uh, we see a blessing that comes in following God and the trouble that arises when we ignore and, and disobey God. So as we begin this journey through the book of 1 Kings, let us ask God to show us how to apply his word to our lives because there's a lot of mistakes that were making, made by the kings that we can learn from and there's a lot of good that the kings did that we can learn from as well. And that's one of my prayers as we go through this book is to be able to just learn from it and apply it to our lives. Not just the history behind it, but the application we can pull from it. Title of this uh, first chapter I call it Family Matters. And you'll see as we get in there all the problems that David had with his family going through this first chapter and into the second chapter as well. <clears throat> so we're going to go ahead and read the first verse, and it reads, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Now around this time, David's about 70 years old. we all seen the life he lived when he was in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. It was a pretty rough life, the warfare. Uh, he was a shepherd as a young boy that, that had to be strenuous on the body as well. And now he's starting to get, to the, uh, get older, and he's starting to not be able to keep warm. He probably has circulatory problems. And uh, this kind of reminds me of my dad. He's about 68, 69. And I remember when we were younger, he used to be the tough guy out there. Oh, I don't need a jacket. It's not cold out here. But now as he's getting older, he gets cold all the time. So we, we start to lose some of that, that strength and some of the, the way our body functions as we get older. And we can see this happening with David right here. As we go on to verse 2, it says, Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in, his, in your bosom, that our Lord king may be warm. So they sought uh, for, a very, for a lovely young woman throughout all the territories of Israel, and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. So David, like I said earlier, may have had some kind of circulatory problem as he got older and just couldn't keep warm. And David's staff proposed to bring in a young girl, a young virgin, to come and wait on him, feed him, make sure that he was taken care of and cleaned, and, and whatever other things that he may have needed, she would come in and take care of that, and also to keep him warm at night when he slept. 
It also says that David did not know her. So David did not have any kind of sexual relations with her. This is merely a nursing opportunity. And this is also very, it has harmony with the medical times of those days as well. Um, Josephus, the historian Josephus, and also the Greek physician Galleon spoke about this practice happening at this time. So this is, this is a common practice for those who had these issues. Now the virgin that he had picked up was a Shunammite. And if you know in the Song of Solomon, they talk about the Shunammite woman. There's no indication or evidence that this is the Shunammite woman that's, that Solomon speaks of. We don't know, but it could possibly be because he ends up taking the reign as king shortly after that. So there is a possibility, but there's really no evidence to show that otherwise. In verses 5 through 6, it says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had, had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. So here we go again. Another one of David's sons trying to take over the reign by force. He builds himself a kingdom. And if you remember, Absalom in, in uh, 2 Samuel was trying to do the same thing to David, undercut him and take out the kingdom. <clears throat> so what can we learn from this? What can, we, what can we learn from Adonijah and the way David treated this? Well, let's first look at, 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 the, at this guy, Adonijah. He is uh, one of David's sons of four, who he had with uh, Haggith, who was in, in Hebron at the time when David was reigning in Hebron. So he also had Adonam, that is the one who raped his half-sister. He had Absalom, Absalom, who, what, tried to take over the kingdom from David. Then he had another one, Chiliad. We don't hear a whole lot about him in, in the scripture. And now we have Adonijah, who is the last surviving son of that bunch. And he is following in his brother's footsteps. Funny how we see this played out today in politics, in our families. How someone will always tries to rise to power whenever they see, they see an opportunity. And especially in families, we'll see, we've seen brothers and sisters fighting over the estates of their parents before they're even dead. And, and it's like they don't even have a care or a worry in the world for their parents. And I was thinking of one case where, where this played out, where it actually ended in the murder of their parents, and it was the Mendez brothers uh, quite a few years back, where they killed their parents to inherit all the money and power that they had. It's sad that we see this, but this is the world we live in. So we see Adonijah follow his brother's footstep, Absalom, and build an army in order to claim the throne. We need to not get so caught up in the status and inheritance of things. We need, we need to just serve the Lord and let him promote and guide us on where we're going to go in life and not get so caught up in our status. And in verse 6, it says, David said nothing to rebuke him. Now, whether David knew this was happening or not, he seems to have a track record with not rebuking his children. <clears throat> he seems, David seems like he never wanted to make his kids angry. He had the problems with the one son that raped his half-sister. He has Absalom, who's trying to overthrow him, and now we have Adonijah, who's trying to do the same. And I think Solomon seen this from his father and said, said quite a bit of it about it inside the Proverbs. Now, I'm assuming Bathsheba must have did a good job raising Solomon because he doesn't seem to want to be quite as rebellious as these other sons of David. But we'll see he'll have his own issues later on. But in Proverbs 22.15, Solomon speaks, 
says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far away. Proverbs 29, 15 says, the rod of rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame on his mother. And also in Proverbs 13, 24, it says, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. So him who spares a rod hates his son. That's pretty powerful words. So if we're not disciplining our children, we're not doing what the Lord wants. We're actually hating our children and setting them up for big-time failure later in life if we're not disciplining them right. And I think Solomon's seen the error of his father's ways, and he wrote about it in Proverbs. In verse 7, we go on, it says, Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Ebenezer, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. Now, these two guys, we heard about them before in Samuel once again. And uh, Joab was actually one of the commanders of the armies of Israel and supported David. And, uh, and he was also David's nephew. And uh, so we see that he was a supporter, but what ends up happening is he murders Abner and Amasa. And this wasn't during a wartime situation. He, he in cold blood, murdered these two guys, and David did not have too much favor with him in that. But David did let him live. And Abiathar was one of the high priests who served uh, during David's reign. He actually helped bring the Ark of the Covenant up. So you can read about him in 2 Samuel 8, 17. Now both of these men would turn on David to make a power move for themselves. They seen David start to decline inside of uh, his health, and he was about to, to reach his end. And they figured, well, Adonijah must be the next one in line. Let's go ahead and align ourselves with him for we can go ahead and keep our status and keep our, our prominence. But Joab and Adonathar had, had bitterness in their hearts towards David for these things. And so they decided to rebel. This is why we must be careful not to let the root of bitterness set inside of our hearts. In Hebrew 12, 15, it says, Looking carefully, let any, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. We can't let bitterness with other family members dig into our heart. We can't let bitterness of our friends, our co-workers, the people we pass by on the street, another race, we can't let that bitterness dig a deep spot in our heart and get a foothold in there. We must forgive. And in Ephesians 4.32, it tells us that we must be kind to one another, forgiving each other, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. How, how, much, how can we hold bitterness against somebody? God didn't hold bitterness against us. Amen. He gave his son, right? He gave him for, to die for us so we, that we can have a, a life that is abundant and, and everlasting. So if he, if he forgave us, how much more we should forgive everyone else? And Joab and Abinathar just did not have it in their heart to do. So forget those who hurt, forgive those who hurt you. That's something we, we must do is forgive. And moving on into verses 8 through 10, it reads, But Zodak the priest and Benaniah the son of Joahab, Joharda, I'm going to get these names as we go through that, so just bear with me, okay? I'm, I'm going to figure it out. Uh, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, uh, yeah, where was that? Okay, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zodak the priest, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, 
Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rai, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the uh, stone of Zoloth, which is by En-Ragel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah and the servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaniah, the mighty men, or Solomon his brothers. So Adoniah did not invite one of his own brothers, Solomon, and we all know why, because he's trying to sneak around and, be, and, and grab the kingdom from David in a power move. So he wasn't going to invite those who were actually on David's side. So he wanted this kingdom pretty bad, but he wasn't doing it in a pure way at all. Now, he went on and had his sacrifice, had the animals sacrificed. He went through the whole process of being an anointed king. And the place where he did it was called Zoloth, and I'm guessing I'm saying that right. And that actually means serpent rock. And I thought it was quite fitting that this is the place he did it as, as he was being a snake in the grass anyway, trying to take it from King David. So I thought it was a pretty fitting place for that. And as we go on to verse 11, it reads, So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Hagoth, has become king, and, and David, our Lord, does not know it? Come, please, let me, let me now give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. So immediately, so immediately, so immediately, to King David and say, go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my Lord, O King, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Abinijah become king? And then while you are still talking there with the king, I also will come in and after you confirm your words. So I think Nathan's advice was twofold here. Number one was to get Solomon on, on the throne because that was what God wanted. And number two was to save their own lives. Because if Adonijah would have kept control of that, that king, that, the kingdom, he would have surely had them killed. So in 2 Chronicles 22.9, this is, this is one area where they talk about Solomon taking over the reign from David. It, said, it speaks of Solomon's reign after David. And Nathan knew this. And, to bring, uh, and he had to bring it to David's attention because David didn't know all this was going on, obviously. So Nathan told Bathsheba he would come in after her and confirm to David what he had promised. In verse 15, it says, So Bathsheba went into the chambers to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was uh, serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, that, uh, said, what is it you wish? Then she said to him, My Lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on, the, sit on my throne. So now look, Abinijah has become king, and now, my Lord the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance. And has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon your servant he has not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen 
when my Lord King rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So Nathan knew what the right thing was, and he encouraged Bathsheba to go talk to David about this and about the promise that was made to her about Solomon being king and to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. So it's good to have friends like this. I don't know about you, but I like a friend that will tell me my flaws. I mean, I like it at the moment, but later, later on, I like it. Netta tells me my flaws all the time. I still like her. But knowing, knowing our flaws and, and having friends that are truthful with, with us is a lot better than having a friend who will say, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I, I'd much rather have a friend come to me and tell me where, where I need to make corrections than to just lie in my face. So it's good to have these type of friends. And, and I read, I read a, a, a saying, it says, deceitful is the kiss of an enemy, but faithful is the womb of a friend. So a lot of people will smile in your face and, and tell you what you want to hear, but a real friend may hurt you at the moment, but is, you're going to be better off in life for it. So as we go on to verse 23, it reads, So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Abinijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on the throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed ox, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they are eating and drinking before him, and they say, Long live King Ebenezer. But he has not invited me, me, your servant, nor Zodak the priest, nor Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant? who should sit on the throne, or my lord, the king, after him? So he's kind of trying to push David into say, hey, you know, this is going on. Did you say this? Come on, David, you didn't say this. Surely you didn't say this. And he's trying to lead him into understanding that, that Adonijah is about to take over the kingdom as soon as you die, and he's trying to give him this wisdom, say, hey, you might want to make a decision on who's going to be the king next. So no sooner as Bathsheba had left, Nathan came in. And in Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So I'm pretty sure that Nathan thought about this when he was going in, like, hey, I need to go be a witness to what Bathsheba said. And especially in this culture, with, with, a, with a woman going in like this to speak, often that, that, that word was not taken. So having a, a man of God come in and speak on her behalf as well was a good, a good thing to happen. Jesus also reiterated this concept in Matthew 18, where he expressed that two people dealing with problems uh, within the Christian community, that we should have two more witnesses as well. And in 2 Corinthians uh, 13.1 and 1 Timothy 5.19, Paul declares that no accusation is to be uh, received apart from confirmation of two witnesses. So Nathan was definitely following in step with what Scripture says. I know where I work at the jail, there's a lot of accusations brought against a lot of people over there. And they're forever wanting to tattletale on, on each other inside the jail. And often I'll ask them just to see if it's the truth that's, that's going on. I'll ask them, hey, can I take your word on that? Can I use you as a witness to what's going on? 
And nine out of ten times, they'll tell me no. So I'll get the truth of what's really going on. Very seldom do they say, yes, you can use me as a witness for whatever's going on. So Nathan used this, uh, this aspect with Bathsheba in prompting David to give a response on who was going to be the king next. Or next in verse 28, says, Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she, uh, so she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Surely Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in, in my place, so I certainly will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord King David live forever. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoadad. So they came before the king. So David kept his oath. But it was something in verse 29 that kind of, kind of caught my eye. And it says, The king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. Now that's not saying that as Christians we're going to live our life without stress. Or we're going to live our life without obstacles that, that, that face us and trials and tribulation. Actually, this is, this is telling us that we're going to have these trials and tribulations. But God, Christ, is going to redeem us from that. It says the Lord, the Lord did not say that as Christians we're going to have a stress-free life. But in John 16, 33, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So even when we're going through our trials and we're going through our tribulations, we can have a joy and a peace about us as we're going through it. Whereas those who are unbelievers do not have that joy and peace that we have. They do not have that comfort as we go through the tribulations and trials. But because we have Christ in our heart, we do have that comfort. We do have that joy that, he, that we can only get from him. And at the end of our lives, we will be totally redeemed from all those, that stress and those tribulations. So we can definitely find peace in Christ through the trials, but we still have to face them. And David, at this point in his life, realized that he had faced his trials and that God had redeemed him from it, just as he, is, he will redeem us. Amen? Verse 33, it says, The king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, and blow the horn, and say, Long, is, long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him. And he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him, I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaniah, the son of, of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my Lord King say so too. As the Lord, ha Lord has been with my Lord the King, even so, may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. 
So uh, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, the uh, Cherethites and the Pelethites, went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of all from the uh, tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn. And all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. So we look here, King Solomon gets anointed to be king. And I find it, I look at it, and he tells him to ride on his mule. Now, mules were kind of hard to, to come by from what I hear in the Middle East at that time. And a lot of time, royalty would have these mules. And riding on a mule mean you came in as a peaceful king. It did not mean that you were coming in angry and warful, because if you were coming in as that, you would be riding a horse. So a horse was considered an animal of war. And I look at this riding on a mule, and I think of Jesus when he rode in on Palm Sunday, coming in as a, as a prince of peace, coming in to ride in and save the people, even though by the end of the week, the people were shouting him down and wanting his head. He came in as a prince of peace. But when he comes back again, he will come back on a horse as a conquering king. So you can be ready for that. And also we're looking at this. We had uh, Zadak the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed him. When God's plans were coming through, there's always a prophet and a priest that would anoint the one who was going to be anointed by God to be king. And if you know, Adonijah did not have any of that going on on his side. He was just trying to hurry up and get the kingdom. But here we have Zadok and Nathan going ahead and anointing him as king. And we continue on in verse 41. It says, Now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they, uh, as they finished, finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is the city in such a noisy uh, uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest. And Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are a prominent man and bring good news. <laughs> Not so much. Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent him Zadak the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Perethites, and, the, and they have made him ride on a, the king's mule. So Zadak the priest and Nathan the prophet had anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from, the, from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also, Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom, and moreover, the king's uh, servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, "May God, may God make the name of Solomon better than the name, better than your name, and may He make the throne greater than your throne." Then the king bowed himself on the bed. Also, the king said, "Thus blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given uh, one to sit on my throne this day, while my eyes see it." So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each went their way. I had some good friends, huh? Uh, this isn't going to work out for us today. I'm, I'm, we're leaving. We're, we're out of here. You're going to deal with the police. So all his friends get up and leave. Leave Adonijah alone, which I guess that's rightfully so. 
So Solomon ends up, begins his reign as a king officially now. And David even notices, David even notices that, hey, let's make his, his reign higher than what my reign was. David was not prideful. David did not, did not try and stand in his way and hang on and hang on as king. But he said, you know what, I'm going to pass the torch on. And I hope your reign, Solomon, was greater than, greater than my reign. And he had, he had no problems with doing that. I've seen, I've seen leaders in, uh, in the military, I've seen leaders even within the sheriff's department where I work, that they always want to put their thumb on the people below them and never let them help them get a step up. And King David was, was showing that this is not the way it should be because there's a time and season for each of us to, to be on top of the mountain and to be in the valley. And this was a time for Solomon to stand up and shine in the eyes of God and in the eyes of Israel. And David was not going to hold him. And David asked for a blessing that his kingdom would be greater than what David's was. May we never keep anybody down. May we never, if, 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 if people in our lives and people we may be discipling are, 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 are trying to obey God and walk in the ways of the Lord, may we never keep them down. May we never be known as the one that keeps them down, but always lifts them up and gives them a hand up. So we continue on as we start to get towards the end in verses 50 through 53. It says, Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he rose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Now some of these altars they had uh, there in Israel, they had on, the, on four corners, they had like knobs on it that looked like, looked like horns, horns on them. So this is where he's at. And it was told, to, it was told Solomon saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Then Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. So Adonijah ran to the tabernacle, threw himself on the altar, grabbed the horns, asked basically saying, hey, this is a sign of a warning, mercy. Mercy from God, mercy from, from the, the, the king that is sitting on the throne. And I laugh at this because at the end, we have King Solomon almost scolding him, but in a very calm way saying, hey, I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not going to hurt you, what have you. But then he tells them to go to his house. That's like telling my kids they did something wrong. Say, go to your rooms. Think about what you did. And, and that's what I picture King Solomon doing to Abinijah as he's telling them to go to his house. How many times have God had to tell us to go to our rooms and think about what we've done? And then maybe say, come back and talk to me a little bit later on, and we, we, we can hash this out, and I can let you know how you can correct that. But I think God has done that to each and every one of us at some point in time. So as we end here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 1, and next week we'll be getting to chapter 2 where David actually passes away, and uh, we're going to title that Family Matters Part 2, Revenge. Because uh, you're going to see the revenge that is, is taken by Solomon for King David through some of these characters that we just uh, read about. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this uh, evening.
that we're able to, to just get in your word and just, and just soak in it for the night, Father, and just ask that you would just speak to each and every one of our hearts and, and just tell us what, we, what you want us to get out of it, Father God, whether it's bitterness that we may harbor in our hearts, Father, and we, that we need to let go of, Father, or maybe we're, we're holding people down or we're holding them back from, from what you have for them, Lord, and, and we don't realize it, Lord, bring that to light. And whatever other applications you have for each and every one of our hearts, I pray that you would just speak to us, Lord. Let your spirit just speak to our hearts, Father, and that we, we may be able to be obedient to, to what you have to say, Lord. And we thank you for this time. We ask for your travel and mercies once we leave, Lord, and we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.